Please turn back to uh, the Luke passage I read a little earlier, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. I don't know how it is around your house, but I knew when I was growing up that we were getting close and ready for Christmas when we started watching the annual Christmas animated classics on TV. The Grinch, Frosty the Snowman, Rudolph, and last but not least, a Charlie Brown's Christmas. I'm not even sure they even show that one anymore, but we used to watch it all the time. And in that show, there was an iconic scene where Charlie Brown, again, has made a disaster of everything, and uh, he chose a very, very small, so weak tree. Remember, they put the little ornaments on and it just drooped down. It was awful. And so he has an unimpressive tree, and he feels bad at the school program. And the result, there's a conversation between Charlie Brown and Linus, if you remember. And it goes like this. I guess you were right, Linus. I shouldn't have picked this little tree, said Charlie Brown. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I don't really know what Christmas is all about. And then he asks, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about, said Linus. And then it says, Linus walks to center stage and says, lights, please. Then he reads Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14, our text. Because that's what Christmas is all about. Do you know that? Do you know what Christmas is all about? It's not all about the Christmas trees, whether they're small or large. It's not about the stockings or the decorations or lots of food or parties. Well, wait a minute. It could be a lot about the food, but not the parties, the lights. It's really not about any of those things. It's not about the time we get off of work, the vacations that we take, as great as all those are, spending time with friends and family. See, I think Linus was right. I think if you want to know what Christmas is all about, you have to ask Luke, who wrote about it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in his gospel account. You see, Luke, I should say, Luke in his Bible, or Linus points out that it wasn't the story of Mary or Joseph or the Magi or any of those people that he says Christmas is all about. Instead, he chooses the angelic visit of a messenger from God who comes to lowly shepherds in a field. It's almost as if Luke, like Linus, walks to the center of stage, center stage of world history and says, lights please, and all of a sudden the glory of God shines all around them in a little field. And I, I think perhaps, or maybe in my imagination, I think Luke is saying, not to the Charlie Brown, but to all the Charlie Browns in our world, and maybe you, maybe me, all of us who in real life have made some disastrous choices of our own, not because we've bought small trees, but because we've lived small lives, lives without really grasping, understanding, or experiencing what true peace is all about. You see, Charlie Brown listened to Linus, and I think Linus was right when Linus said, Charlie Brown, this, this part of Luke's gospel, this message, this is what Christmas is about. See, for Luke, Christmas is all about peace. It's one of the most prominent narrative strands running all the way through the pages of Luke's gospel from the beginning to the end. It's really about peace. Zechariah 
in chapter 1 in the infant narrative and what's called the Benedictus. It's really a Christmas song. And in it he says in verse 79, the sun shall rise, the sunshine shall rise, meaning Jesus, visit from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to give guidance to their feet in the way of peace. Insinuating that we're not on the road anymore. That because we're Charlie Browns and we've made disastrous decisions, see, we're not on the path of peace anymore. But Jesus has come. Jesus has come to guide us back to that path. Simeon knew that because also in the birth narrative 2.29 of Luke, it says he's now ready to depart in peace. Why? Because he's held Jesus himself in his arms. He knows what peace is all about. But those are at the beginning of Luke's gospel. At the end of the gospel, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he appears to his disciples who are scared. They're hiding in a room. They're not going out. They're afraid for their lives. And Jesus appears to them. And the first thing he says to them is, Shalom, peace be to you. And all between those bookends of The messages of peace. Jesus is performing miraculous things, miracles of peace. He's telling people and healing them. And when he's done, he says, go in peace. Because now, since they've known him and his touch in their lives, they can know what peace is all about. Miracles of peace. Message of peace. See, that's what Luke says Christmas is all about. It's finding peace. It's knowing peace. True peace. So in keeping with our series, let me say this. You are not ready for Christmas. You're really not. Until you know and experience peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you didn't hear them already when you read the text, there are warning bells that go off. Because there's not just one kind of peace out there. There's alternative peace. There's pseudo-peace, false peace, because Jesus is not the only one in our culture today any more than it was 2,000 years ago in the first century. Between the first century and the 21st century, things haven't changed because our world offers a kind of peace, a false peace. It's not a peace that finds its origin in heaven or with God, but it's a different kind of peace. It's a peace that comes from this world, and it finds its origins and its source in people. So I'd like to do that this morning in our few minutes we have. I'd like to unpack those two things and compare them. False peace that the world offers and true peace that Jesus offers. I think it's good, don't you, when you're talking about a subject, to tell people what it isn't. In the first few verses, if you would look there in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, tell us about the roots of the false peace that was happening during Jesus' birth in those days that he lived It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. So you have the big names on the world scene. If Luke was going to go on center stage of the world, these are the people that he would normally be talking about. Caesar Augustus, dictator of the entire world. There was a registration, a taxation. You know why? Because he controlled everything. And that was a result of what was called Pax Romana, the peace. See, he held the peace, and therefore, because he was the victor, he was the authority, he was the one in charge, he would tax people. Israel was just a slave nation, one of the many nations controlled by the Roman Empire. Quirinius, 
Though, see, those are the household names that people in Jesus' day would have known. They were the pr- power brokers of the first century. Household names. Everyone knew who they were. No one would have known Jesus. They were the movers and shakers of the Roman Empire. We have our own set today, don't we? We have presidents and dictators and world leaders who think they run empires and think that they're in charge, that they're really the ones who move everything in our world. What most people don't realize is that there are a lot of titles and terms in Luke's birth narrative of Jesus that are used mainly by secular people in Jesus' day to talk about Caesar himself. Can I just list some of them? You'll be surprised because you think they're first and foremost about Jesus and they are used that way, but they weren't understood that way. Savior, salvation, Lord, King, good news. All of those were borrowed terms from the Roman Empire. See, Caesar was the only savior the world needed and it was on all kinds of plaques, all kinds of statues with his name on them, that here, he, Caesar, is the only savior of the world. And the good news was always heralded by messengers all throughout the Roman Empire every time a new Caesar was born because it was the best thing that that world, in their minds, could possibly consider. And along with Caesar and all of his power and authority became peace. Pax, Latin for peace. Pax Romana, Pax Augustus. See, in the Roman world, there was only one Savior and Lord, and he was the only one who had the power to bring peace. But you know what kind of peace Caesar offered? It was a peace from war through war. The only way they could stop war is if he fought and won them. You see, the only way that they got rid of all the violence was to first have violence. See, that's what it was really all about. But then you kind of come along and you have a countercultural peace. In chapter 2 and verse 10 that we read, it says, And the angel says, Fear not, I bring you good news. See, there's another set of good news. There's another message to be. See, there is another Savior, another Lord, another King offering another kind of peace. And it's Jesus And his is for all people. See, his is worldwide, just like Caesar's says that his is. See, the only place in the entire Bible that Savior, King, and Lord is used all side by side in the same text is this passage. See, but he's changing it. Who the peace belongs to, where the peace comes from, what the peace is all about is completely different. And even in the story, you can look in verse chapter 2, verse 13, it says, and with the angel... A multitude of the heavenly hosts. See, the heavens and Jesus, the new king, he has an army too. Rome has an army to enforce things, but they do it with violence. But these soldiers, supernatural soldiers that appear in the sky, and they probably look like they had armor on because the second kings, they came with chariots and fire. They're fearsome. That's why they were afraid, the shepherds. It wasn't just the angel, but it was a multitude. Heavenly host means army. Oh, see, All the pieces sound the same, but they look completely different. And I cannot tell you this, that's the way it is with the peace that they offer. The world sounds like it has the peace that we offer through Christ. It looks the same in some ways, but it's radically different. Radically different. Because, can I tell you, true peace, Jesus' peace, 
It's not political peace. It's not nationalistic peace. When the herald, angel heralded this peace on earth, he wasn't talking about international peace. And I think all of us, if you watch the news at all, have seen in recent months that international peace is hard to come by. In fact, we've seen tremendous bloodshed in a lot of places, including Ukraine, the Gaza Strip, and Israel. That's why the Bible says, pray for the peace, the shalom of Israel, and we should. In fact, Jesus was asked the very question, what do all the wars mean? In this very gospel, Luke 21, in verse 9, he says that when you hear of wars and revolutions, don't be terrified because these things must happen first. You know what Jesus is saying? He says, you know what? My coming doesn't stop wars. There's going to be wars. In fact, he says until the very end of time, there are going to be wars until I come again. So you shouldn't be surprised by them. In fact, Jesus would say, if you read the text, if, if anything, it's going to get worse. So if you are waiting this morning for the president or any other leader to give peace on earth, you're going to be disappointed. Because if you're waiting for a world ruler that's not the world redeemer, you'll never know real peace. Because true peace it's not political. It's not international peace. But can I tell you this? It's not also this. It's not psychological peace, emotional or internal peace. I read articles, How to Get Peace, numerous psychological magazines. And they said this, if you would just meditate, that would help. Get more sleep. Eat better food. See, it is about the food. It says that if you took better care of yourself, all those things are great, but basically all the articles had this in common. If you would take control of your life, you just be the one who controls all your circumstances and you can have peace. <laughs> can I tell you that's not peace? Not, that's not Jesus' peace. Jesus didn't come to bring international peace, but some people say, oh, I know that. No, Pastor Walker, I know. He didn't come to bring international peace. He came to bring spiritual peace. That he's going to give us an internal equilibrium and it's going to, nothing's going to bother us. Every relationship is going to be great. That's the kind of peace that Jesus is going to give. See, there's another Luke verse that nobody preaches on at Christmas. You'll know why when I say it. He says this, and it quotes the same phrase the angel said in his birth narrative. Listen to this, Luke 12, 51. Do you think I came to bring peace on the earth? Oh, I love that phrase, right? Here he says, no. I tell you, not peace, but the vision. I got to be honest with you. I read that and I said, that's not going to sell many Christmas cards. I mean, can you see that? on the? You got this big sword on the front of the card families fighting one another, fringed by flames on the outside of the card, and it says, Merry Christmas. That's probably not going to work. But I can tell you this. Jesus said, from now on, there are going to be divisions. And then he says this, father against son, mother against daughter. I have come not to bring peace on the earth, listen to this, but fire on the earth. <laughs> That's why nobody preaches that passage. You see, Jesus' birth doesn't bring international conflict, but it does bring personal conflict. I've got to tell you this morning that if you invite Jesus and welcome him into your life, you're going to have disturbances, no doubt about it. Your family is going to get mad at you, or somebody will. 
Can I tell you this? You won't have peace with people that you used to. You won't have peace with them anymore. It's going to get messy in your life. Because the world's peace that it offers is only relative. It's only temporary. It's circumstantially based. And Jesus says when you upset the apple cart, so to speak, you're going to mess with people's lives when you change. See, there is no peace internally unless you have peace eternally. Jesus said this to his disciples and to all of us who choose to have him in our lives. He says, my peace I leave with you, not the world's peace I give unto you, but my peace. You know what he was saying? See, if you're looking for peace from a president, if you're looking for peace from a pill, you'll never find it because peace is in a person. It's in the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's what our world offers you. Peace that you can get through some technique. If you just better your life, if you'd read another book, if you'd go to another seminar, if you take another pill, if you marry another person, if you get a new job, and on and on the list goes, and on and on we repeat the list. Because that's the pseudo-false peace that the American empire offers. Well, Pastor Walker, if that's not true peace, peace it's, it's not internal, it's not international, then what is it? He says to us in verse 14, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. See, you can have it here. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. I grew up using the King James Version. Some of you still do. And the most popular translation, it's on the cards, Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But almost universally now, almost every commentator I read translates it like the version that we use at our church. And it's translated this way. On earth, peace among those with whom God is well pleased. Those to whom God has good will. It's not man's good will to God, the text is saying. It's really God's goodwill to people. Do you remember what Zachariah said? He says, God has come in Jesus to guide, to guide our feet in the way of peace. You know why? Because we've got off the track of peace. We've got off the path of peace. If you read a lot of literature, you'll know that that is a very famous metaphor. Remember Pilgrim's Progress? He has to get on the road to the celestial city, and every time he gets off, bad things happen. You remember the yellow brick road, and you got to follow the yellow brick road. You get off, and there's witches out there. Remember the Lord of the Rings? They go through Mirkwood Forest, and Gandalf says, don't get off the road. It'll be the last thing you ever do. I'll never see you again. But they do. Gigantic spiders attack. It's bad news when you get off the path. You know what Jesus is saying through the scriptures? See, as people, because of our sin, we've got off the path of peace. And it's not goodwill God has toward most people. It's ill will. See, we are off the path of peace because in our sin we have become enemies. Enemies of God, Romans 5.10. But Jesus has come. And the angels sing this gospel message Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace toward those to whom God is 
Please, there are some people because of Jesus that God has good will toward. The question the angels provoke us to think about this morning, is it you? Is it you? The only verse in Luke's gospel, chapter 3 and verse 22, the only one that tells us about who God is pleased with is this. This is my beloved son in whom I am pleased. It's him he's pleased with. And when you're connected to him, see, the good will of God and his pleasure can be in you. See, the peace of God, the angel said, the real true peace is not peace primarily between us. It's not within us. It's between us and God. It's not a peace of God. It's a peace with God. It's not a peace that brings prosperity. Although you hear that message on TV all the time, it's false. It's a lie. Peace with a trouble-free life. Jesus never promises that. But it's a peace that means that the end of the enmity, the end of the war, the end of the struggle and the opposition between you and God can be over. That's why Luke 2 is filled with military metaphors and illusions. You know why? Because there is a battle going on and the fierce battle. And I don't want to underplay it or downplay it by any stretch, but a war is far more important than Ukraine and the one going on in Israel. All of those wars, in one sense, are shadow wars. When you think about the true war for your soul and for eternity. See, this kind of peace I'm talking about nobody in the first century was expecting and they're still not expecting it today and you know why because our natural heart wants to be its own savior its own lord and king and because of that we are hostile to god we are controlled by the idea that the only way we can have true peace is if we are wholly in charge of our own lives We think that's true peace. And that, can I say, that self-centeredness leads to conflict with others and most of all hostility with God. There is no peace on earth because there is no peace with God. That's why Russia invaded Ukraine. There's no peace with God. That's why Hamas attacked Israel. There is no peace with God. That's why people slander others on social media. That's why some marriages end in divorce. That's why teenagers today, perhaps sitting here, are in rebellion against their parents. Because there is no peace with God. That's why young adults refuse to follow God's standards of relationships and moralities. You know why? Because there is no peace with God there. Don't ever forget that there is always more than one way to express your hostility to God. You might be here this morning, you'd say, I'm not hostile to God, Pastor Walker. Come on. I believe in him. I brought my Bible. I'm in church. I don't hate God. See, religious people do this. They say this, I'm going to obey all the Bible says. I'm going to do all the things that God says. And I'm going to live such a good life that he's going to have to bless me and do all the good things I want him to do for me. This is an effort to control God. Not trust him. See, when you obey God and you do what he says so that you can get a blessing or you can go to heaven, you are seeking to be your own savior. But irreligious people do as well. They express it just indifferently. They just more out front about it. 
And their independence of God is voiced with these phrases. I want to just live however I want to live. Don't tell me what to do. And they don't want anyone telling them what to do. Their parents, the government, the society, anyone. And and they don't want to admit that, so they mask it. They mask it by saying about their parents, oh, my parents are just traditional. They're antiquated a little bit. Oh, you know, my, my mom and dad, believe they, they do that church, you know, but they're old-fashioned. And we tell ourselves to convince ourselves our position is right. Oh, I'm progressive. I live in the 21st century. I'm modern. See, but both of these lifestyles, both of them are hostile to God. They don't allow him to be your savior or your sovereign You see, to be at peace with God, you have to accept and understand the gospel of the good news, that you cannot find it in doing what you want. You cannot find it in the world. You cannot find it in all the ways and all the offers that everything and everyone around you is offering. The good news, the true good news is not Caesar's, it's God's. And to understand that, listen, you have to first and foremost grasp this, that I am in a conflict with God. You have to be able to say and come to the realization that not only have you done bad things, but the good things that you do, you do to be your own savior. You have to come to the realization that because of your sin, that God is not pleased. It's not goodwill he offers, but ill will to me. Well, but Pastor Walker, you'd say, you don't know. You just don't know me. You don't know how bad and how long the war inside of me has been going on. My conflict with God since I was young, it's ruined a lot of things. And for some, your relationship with God, and it has spilled over to your relationship with your parents and your spouse and your friends and your children and your boss. And for some, maybe just about everybody. But did you notice in our text... Did you notice that when God brought the message from the angels to offer peace, gospel peace, he didn't bring it to the religious people, although they were only a few miles away in Jerusalem, but he didn't appear there. He didn't go to the temple to give it to people in church. He didn't give it to people who were rich in status and had power. He didn't appear to Caesar in Rome at the, at the Colosseum or any other places. Did you hear what it says? He brought it to shepherds. They have no status. They have no political power. They have no money. They had no education. And by most people, they were suspicious at best. Why? Why does God do that? The answer is is because peace on earth is not something that can be earned, merited, or deserved by who you are or what you've done. My dad, when I was growing up, I found out later because he left it to me when he passed away, was a Boy Scout. I don't know how much they even do that much anymore with that. But my dad was a Boy Scout, and he had this sash. It was army-colored, went across here, and you wore it, I guess, when you went. And on it had a lot of patches on it, or that's what I thought they were. I didn't know much about Boy Scouts. Um, But my dad had it, and he had filled with it. He was filled with it merit badges. 
I looked it up. They had originally had 14 marriage ba- merit badges that you could earn. You do all these things, you achieve all these things, and if you were accomplished at it, they would put the little patch on your sash. And if you got all 14, you could qualify to be an Eagle Scout. Now today, they have 30 plus merit badges. My dad, in his day, had a bunch, and I'll tell you why. Because my dad wasn't just a Boy Scout, he was an Eagle Scout. And you think, oh, Eagle Scout, okay, that's not that great. There have been 25 million Boy Scouts since 1911, 4% become Eagle Scouts. My dad, when he had to become an Eagle Scout, his test was that they gave him three pieces of wood, two matches, and he had a jacket on. They, in Texas, they took him out to the woods at 5 o'clock at supper. They said, stay here and we'll pick you up in the morning. He had to figure out how to build a fire. He had nothing to sleep on or in. And he had to make it there with no food. They wouldn't do that today. All the people who are so sensitive about safety, that would never happen. But if you wanted to be an Eagle Scout, that's what you did. My dad passed that. He became an Eagle Scout. And then they have bronze, silver, and gold palms, which means this. You do all the merit badges of your day, And then you get an Eagle Scout, and then you do five bronze, silver, ten more merit badges, or 15. My dad did all of them. He had all the merit badges, Eagle Scout, all the palms, all the extra merit badges. My dad was in one of the highest percents. He was so proud of that, he left it to me. See, my dad worked really, really hard. And and you know what? Some people think, let's say we all walk around with this invisible sash on. That life is about, oh, how many merit badges can I get? And you put a marriage badge, merit badge on here, gives money. Charitable. I talked to a buddy of mine. I ran into him. He was sitting there ringing the bell for Salvation Army. And I started talking about him because I I met him down at Mosaic many years ago. And he was there. And I said, what are you doing? He goes, I'm trying to do good things. I go, for what? He goes, for the Salvation Army. I said, what about the other Salvation He goes, oh, Pastor Walker, I've heard that from you before. But we think, we think the merit badge of charity, kindness, goodwill, morality, religiosity, we have them all. They're all put on our sash. And we think that if we have them, and the more that we have them, maybe we'll be an Eagle Scout person before God. And we'll go, see, some of us are going to go overboard. We're going to have the gold palms and all those extra things. We're going to do, you know what? We don't want to make any chances because we think if we just put them all on there, see God, look at my merit badges. But you know why he appeared to shepherds? Because they didn't have any. They weren't even allowed to be Boy Scouts. Can I tell you this? Peace on earth doesn't come through merit badges. It only comes through mercy badges. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. See, not even the highest achievers can get there. And the reason is, is because we're all at enmity with God. All of us. And the shepherds are there. See, they're the Charlie Browns of their day. Disastrous choices, not respected, not really much going on in their lives. See, that's why Jesus came. But you have to admit that you're like that first. If you're going to ever experience peace on earth. See, I don't know where you are this morning in your life. I'm not sure what you're here for today. I hope it's to worship the Lord. But maybe you're here because it's Christmas. Maybe you're here because you're religious. Maybe you came because someone invited you. But can I tell you this? 
It doesn't matter who you are or why you're here. We're all looking for peace. All of us. The question is not whether we're looking for it. It's where you will find it. If you think you can find it in our world, you're going to be very disappointed. But if you want real peace, permanent peace, eternal peace, you can find it by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, it's hard to admit you're Charlie Brown, isn't it? It's hard to admit that you're a shepherd. It's hard to admit that you need a savior. You see, Christmas is a rescue mission. The angel said, Unto you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord, a Savior. You know what that means? You need saved, rescued. Oh, maybe from a lot of things, but the most important thing is your sin. That's why Jesus came. That's the peace he offers. Ephesians says he offers peace through the blood of his cross. See, that's why he died. Because if someone didn't take your place, someone didn't take the path, the punishment of, of, and wrath of God, you could never get back on the path of peace. You could never get there. See, he wants to guide you. Can I tell you this? The path of peace always runs straight through the cross. Always. And maybe you're here this morning and you would say, Pastor Walker, I have anything but peace in my life. And you're thinking about your marriage, your kids, your wife, your job. Maybe no peace inside of you, not even peace with yourself. Can I tell you, all of those are symptoms and expressions that you've been off the peace with, path of peace with God for way too long. Way too long. Perhaps you're here this morning and the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, is speaking to your heart. And you would say, Pastor Walker, no more pseudo-false peace. I want the true peace that only Jesus can give through his life and his death and his resurrection and payment for my sin. I want to have him in my life. I know it could be messy. I know it could be trouble. I know it could be. But the greatest thing is going to be knowing him and the peace that he can give that lasts for eternity. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we'd say, Pastor Walker, as you close in prayer today, pray for me, would you? I need the peace, true peace that only Jesus gives pray for me. I'll do that. Would you slip your hand up right where you are just for a moment? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you, sir. Thank you. Anyone else in the balcony, main floor? Pastor Walker, I need true peace in my life through Jesus Christ. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? Anyone else? Would you stand to your feet with me? I'm sorry. No, remain seated. We're going to pray, and then we're going to watch a song. Father, I pray. I pray. For those who raised their hand just a few moments ago, indicating that they need peace. I pray, Father, that your spirit would bring conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment. That they might run to the Lord Jesus today. Run. That no longer would they be an enemy. That the enmity and the war between them and you would be over. And they would let Jesus be their peace.
put their faith and trust in him, yield and surrender and give their lives in its entirety. Stop running and submit to his authority in everything of their life that they might know the forgiveness of sins that only comes in his great name. Be glorified, Lord Jesus, I pray in that. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to have you remain seated because I want you to watch a song today. I don't usually do videos of this nature, but I thought the song is good enough. And I want you to hear it. It's a rendition of I Heard the Bells. It's a song about people giving up on peace on the earth, but where that hope can be found. <laughs> 